The Bible reading is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're starting at verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's word. Morning, church. Uh, for anyone I haven't met, my name's uh, Nick Ashton. I'm one of the ministers here uh, at Christchurch Mayfair. Let's pray as we look at this passage. Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that like a loving father, you do warn us. Um, you do care enough to warn us about dangers that we're going to face in this world. And thank you this morning that you're going to warn us about the very real danger of twisted and abusive ministries, ministries done in the name of Christianity. Uh, we pray, Father, as we come to you and listen to your word, that you would be uh, just increasing our faith and increasing our love for you. Um, in your name we pray. Amen. Um, let me tell you about a lady I know called uh, Kathy. 
Um, Kathy's a lovely, uh, gentle, trusting lady. Um, and a while ago, she moved to uh, a new city. And when she arrived there, she got to know uh, this, this group um, of people from a, a strange-sounding church that she'd never heard of. Uh, but they were unbelievably friendly to her. Uh, they welcomed her. They showed her around the city. They used to help her out with all sorts of uh, uh, things going on in her life. Uh, they invited her around to their houses. Uh, and she got to know them more, more, more and more deeply. And they did lots of Christian things. They would meet on a Sunday and have sort of services. Uh, they would have Bible studies um, midweek. But the more she got to know them, she found herself getting more and more um, uncomfortable. Over time, she realized that they were sort of really quite controlling. Eventually they started pressuring her to get baptized again, but into their sort of special church. And uh, as she was to do that, they were telling her that she was also to move to live with some of them and to hand over her bank details. Now the whole time they were doing this, they were speaking about God. Um, they were using Bible verses about being generous with your things and trusting God and that sort of thing. And, and so Kathy so, yeah, was really, really confused. And she started trying to distance herself from them. And as she did that, she found they were turning up at her work and waiting for her and following her home and telling her how much they loved her and how desperately they wanted her to come back. And she was just deeply, deeply distraught, deeply concerned and confused by all of this. Eventually, she reached out to my family and my, my mum got involved. She drove over to the city, went to one of the meetings, confronted the leaders. And wonderfully, Kathy got out. Um, she got out of that situation. But let me tell you, she was deeply, deeply damaged. I mean, socially, uh, trusting people became really difficult for her. Spiritually, her faith was in tatters and it took decades um, uh, for her to begin to recover. Now, what do you do with that? When you hear stories of uh, uh, abuse by uh, people that claim to be Christians, what, what do you do with that? How do you respond? And the sad truth is that it's nothing new. I mean, right from the, from through, through, the, through history, from the very earliest days of the Christian faith, people have used Christianity to control and abuse other people. What do you do with that? I mean, for some people, uh, it puts them off faith entirely. I was speaking to someone this week for whom this is the case. Maybe there are people here today you just don't want anything to do with faith, or you're holding it at arm's length, and this is why. And for others of us here, maybe, maybe it doesn't put you off faith entirely, but it does just quietly diminish our confidence, doesn't it? <laughs> just makes it a little bit more slow, a little bit more quiet. Um, to share this message with other people, to pass this message on. What do you do when you hear um, stories like that? Well, this, this passage we're looking at today, it, it tackles this issue really head on. Uh, if you've been here with us last few weeks, you'll know this whole, this whole letter um, uh, to Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy to encourage him to share the gospel, to pass on this gospel message down through the generations, and it's come to us. But Timothy's problem is, one of the problems, he's got ministries just like that, dodgy, false, abusive ministries all around him in the city where he's, where he's trying to pass on this gospel. And, and what is he meant to do with that? Well, this passage is going to tell us, chapter 3, we're looking at it this week and next week. The big point, I think, from this week and next week is this. Don't let false ministry lead you to abandon the true gospel. 
So if you just glance down at verse 13 and 14 with me that we'll be looking at next week. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become uh, convinced of. There will be deceitful ministry going on, Paul says, but you hold on to the truth, right? Don't let false ministry lead you to abandon the true gospel. That's the big point of chapter three. Now, in our passage this week, we're just looking at verses one to nine. And essentially what, what Paul wants to do, he wants to set our expectations. He's going to try and uh, sort of paint a picture of the landscape that you and I are going to encounter in our lives when it comes to false, false ministry. If you just look at, look at chapter three, verse one, mark this, he says, right? Expect this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Uh, the last days there, kind of Bible jargon word, that refers to the period of history that we're in between when Jesus rose from the dead and when he, come, when he returns in glory. So it's now. This, is, this passage is about what you and I should expect in our lives now, what we will encounter. There's two things he's going to tell us and then one application. He's going to tell us expect godless conduct from outwardly religious people. Um, expect godless ministry, and then avoid it. Expect godless conduct, expect godless ministry from outwardly religious people, and then avoid it. So uh, f- first point then, expect godless conduct from outwardly religious people. Uh, have a look down at verse, uh, verse 1 with me again, this, uh, verse 1 to 5. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Now, who is this talking about? At the beginning of the passage, it kind of seems just to be a big denunciation of, of kind of godless society in general. But notice verse 5, these people have a form of godliness. That means the outward appearance of godliness. In fact, we see in verse 6 that these same people seem to be involved in some kind of active ministry. So right, this isn't talking about people outside the church. This is talking about people that seem to be believers, people that you and I look at and assume they're Christians, maybe even leading ministries. And, and, but under the surface of that outward appearance, there's this list in verse 2 to 4 of, of, of like godless conduct. There's 18 characteristics here, and they paint this really unpleasant picture and we can't go through each of them, but just to draw out a couple of things. I wonder if you noticed that it keeps talking about what they love. So at the beginning and in the middle and the end, it talks about what they love. In verse 2 at the beginning, they are lovers of themselves and lovers of money. In the, the middle, end of verse 3, they are not lovers of good. The end of verse 4, towards the end, they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God in their hearts what they really love and long for is not God, but themselves, money, pleasure. And in the Bible, um, the reason that's significant partly is that what you love always flows out into your conduct. And that's what happens here. It flows into conduct. Um, the, the, the conduct in this list, it makes them boastful and proud. 
Uh, there's, there's a, the, in the Greek, there's a list of eight things that they are un, 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 things that they're lacking. So they're lacking uh, gratitude, holiness, forgiveness, self-control. And then actively, as you can see, they're, they're abusive, um, verse 3, and, uh, and, 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 and harsh and brutal, verse 4. And, 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 and notice verse 5, they have this form, this appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. What's that, what's that talking about? Um, well, can we have chapter 1, verse 8 up on the screen? Beginning of the letter, um, Paul talks about uh, uh, a little bit about sort of the powers that come up. Yeah, brilliant. Join with me in suffering for the gospel uh, by the power of God. So what is, that, what is the power of godliness or the power of God? Um, in Paul's mind, well, it's, 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 it's the power to suffer in order to share this gospel, to endure and to, and to crack on sharing this gospel, even when it means suffering. Now, these people deny that. They have an appearance of, of godliness that they deny. And of course, if, if, if you love yourself more than you love God, why would you ever suffer to share the gospel? I'll come back to the end of verse 5. Um, uh, in our third point. But do you see, Paul is saying, mark this, expect this. You and I will encounter outwardly professing Christians, but under the surface, there's all this godless behavior, all this godless conduct. And so do we see the danger of that? If these people didn't have a form of godliness, then no one would follow them. Like that lady, Kathy, she, she would never have got, got involved with those people if they were just awful all the time. <laughs> But they had a form of godliness. That's why it's so dangerous. It was only on, uh, over time that she saw under the surface that they were controlling and abusive and lots of the things here on this list. We see the danger of that, why we need to be warned about this. And I want to just suggest that maybe this is one of the risks or the dangers of ministries that we encounter online. Sometimes we get wonderful preachers who, who pop up almost overnight online and they get millions of followers all around the world. But you never see their lives. You don't know what they love. You don't know how they act. This happened to me a little bit at university. There was a, a preacher that, uh, that popped up from America and he was really popular. He was really funny. I go into my sort of friends that didn't... Uh, weren't Christians, I'd go into their rooms and sometimes they'd just be watching his videos because they liked them. Um, uh, and he had quite a big influence over me. I only found out many, many years later that uh, the church came, came crashing down in the midst of all sorts of accusations of uh, uh, verbal abuse and patterns of abuse over many years. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily that he was one of the people from this list, but it, it highlights to me the danger of, of interacting people with ministry that's on, only online is that you don't see, you have no idea what their lives are like. And that's a risk because, as, as, as Paul says here, we will encounter people who have this outward appearance of godliness, but under the surface, all sorts of godless behavior. We should expect that. Next, he tells us to, to expect godless ministry, ministry that itself is godless. Have a look down at verse 9. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge 
of the truth. So this particular false ministry was preying on vulnerable women. Now, just to be clear, verse 6 isn't saying that uh, these women were gullible because they were women. Um, ju- just then as today, there would have been plenty of clear-thinking women um, and gullible men. This is talking about a very specific situation um, in Ephesus uh, around Timothy, where there was this group of women who were particularly vulnerable. And you notice they're vulnerable because they've got sensitive consciences and they want to know the truth. Now, this ministry, these ministers are using that to abuse and control them. It's horrible. And interestingly, verse, have a look at verse 8 with me. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They're men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. They're like Janus and Jambres, he says. Now, who on earth are Janus and Jambres? Um, well, Janus and Jambres traditionally are the names that were given to Pharaoh's magicians back in Exodus. So back in Exodus, God's people are enslaved uh, to Pharaoh. Moses is trying to liberate them. And in order to persuade Pharaoh to let them go, he does a, a series of miracles. Janus and Jambres are Pharaoh's um, uh, magicians who, who mimic a couple of those miracles, the bloods and the frogs. For some reason, they can't do the gnats. It's not clear why. <laughs> they can't manage the gnats. Um, uh, but Jesus, what they're doing is they are using their power to try and keep God's people enslaved. Right? That's the key thing. That's why they're like these false teachers here. Do you see? The false teachers here, um, are, are their, 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 their message is enslaving people. It preys on these women's troubled consciences, and it never sets them free. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ liberates us. It sets us free from sin and guilt and shame. It frees us to love God and serve other people the way we were meant to. It's the truth that sets us what? Free, right? But th- th- their message, it opposes that. It leads to burdened people who have to learn and learn and learn and learn, but they never learn the truth of Christ that sets them free. And and mark this, Paul says, in our lives we should be expecting to encounter ministries where that happens. Really importantly, in verse 8, the second half of verse 8, although we should expect this, we should never accept it. Look at the end of verse 8. It says really clearly, as far as the faith is concerned, these people are rejected. The Bible's not just saying, oh, expect it, it's fine. Everyone can interpret the Bible how they want, it's fine. No, no, it's saying, no, 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 this is wrong. This is seriously wrong. And if there's anybody here today and you've had that tragic experience of, 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 of going through abusive ministry, can I just say, I'm so, so sorry you've had to endure that. And I, I hope that maybe it's some small comfort to you to see that the Bible itself condemns what those people did to you. What they did is wrong. What those people did to you is seriously wrong. It's not okay. And yet there is still, um, there is still freedom and life in the gospel itself. It's quite apart from whatever those people did to you. So can I encourage you, if that is you, don't let false ministry lead you to abandon the true gospel. But for those of us uh, maybe who haven't been through that situation, do, do, do you see why it's so important that the Bible is warning us 
about this. You see, if, if, if this isn't in your mental landscape of what you're going to encounter, then when you, when you encounter it, it can really throw you. It kind of works a little bit like this. Can I have a diagram up? The next image. Thanks, him. Okay, so, so someone whose understanding is that the Christian faith rightly says that Christian leaders should love and serve others. That's my understanding of what the Christian faith says. But then I encounter this, leaders who are abusive hypocrites. And I'm left thinking, well, hang on. Was the Christian faith, was it wrong? Was it lacking? Um, was it misleading me? It can really throw you. But if I expect, if I, can you see the next slide? If I expect that the Christian faith says, yes, Christian leaders should love and serve others, but you should avoid um, uh, abusive, um, hypocritical, false ministry, then when I encounter it, that doesn't, that doesn't ruin my faith. That actually reinforces my faith. So know that that is part of what the faith itself arms me against. Thanks, Amy. You can put that down now. Um, and I just... I, I just <laughs> If there's anybody here and you're investigating the Christian faith, I really want you to understand that. Because I was speaking to a lady this week, and this is the reason she, she says that she's holding Jesus at arm's length. She's interested in the Christian faith, but she's holding it at arm's length. She's not embracing it because of this, because of what people have done in the name of Christianity in the past. And there may well be people here or tuning in online, and that's, that's the same for you. And I can see why you would do that. I can see why you would do that. But can I just say... If the faith itself warns you and arms you against those people, then actually it's not, it's not a reason to push this faith away. It's not a legitimate excuse to hold Jesus at arm's length. The Bible itself is what's going to arm you against those people. So again, if that's you, can I just encourage you, don't let false ministry lead you to abandon the true gospel. Finally then, what do we, what do we, so we're to expect it, expect godless conduct from outwardly religious people, expect to, to encounter in our lives this kind of godless ministries. And what do we do though? What do we do when we encounter it? Well, here's where we come back to the end of verse five. Have a look down at the end of verse five with me. Have nothing to do with such people. Um, the word in the Greek there for have nothing to do with, it means avoid with horror. Um, it's a, a word that would be used if you encountered a, a dangerous wild animal. <laughs> uh, avoid with horror. Interestingly, there are, some, there are some ministries we saw last week that Timothy should engage and gently rebuke people. There are other ministries Timothy should avoid with horror, have nothing to do with. And for those of us um, wanting to carry the baton, <laughs> wanting to follow in Timothy's footsteps, it's going to be true. The same thing is going to be true for us. There are some churches and there are some online ministries. But if we're taking verse 5 seriously, you and I should have nothing to do with. We should avoid with horror. And I know, I know there are lots of us and that makes us uncomfortable. And that, that idea that we'd ever call other ministries false teaching, I know that makes lots of people uncomfortable. Because in the cultural air we breathe, we tend to think, um, oh, well, some people interpret the Bible this way, some people interpret it that way, but can't we, let's just all get along, it's okay. But you look at this passage you think of the story of Kathy, and no, there are some ways of handling the Christian message that are twisted and that are deeply damaging to people. 
there are some ministries claiming to be Christian that we should avoid with horror, that we should have nothing to do with. I think there's two times in life that we're particularly at risk of encountering these kind of ministries. The first, I suppose, is if you move to a new area, a new city, a new country, um, and you're going to need to look around the churches that are there, there may be some churches that you go to that you should have nothing to do with. Are you prepared for that? The other area of life, I think, again, I keep mentioning this, is, is online. There will be videos that appear on your feeds. And they won't, of course, they won't all be like this, but there will be some... Um, ministries from wherever that you should have nothing to do with. And it's just a, a word, I suppose, for those of us here that are parents. Um, because verse 5, it's calling us all to be discerning. But, but as, as parents, there are all sorts of ways that we, we try and um, equip our, our kids for the dangers they're going to face when they leave home. Um, you know, the dangers financially, the dangers socially. We equip them for those as they leave home. According to this, this is a danger that our children will face. False ministries, is that a danger that we're going to equip them to face? I mean, Kathy's mum was a believer and was absolutely devastated when she heard what had happened to Kathy um, and hadn't been helping her think it through or hadn't prepared her for that. Uh, I mean, it's a, this is a silly example, I suppose. But look, if you're going on a walk in the park with your kids and uh, they, uh, they imagine they find a toad and they want to play with it, I might think, okay, not ideal. I'd rather they didn't, but okay, fine, it's a toad. They can play with the toad. Not a big deal. But if they found a poisonous snake, I wouldn't think, okay, not ideal. I'd rather they didn't, but okay. Think, no. <laughs> Try and prepare them for that kind of danger. When it comes to false, when it comes to false ministries, there, there, there's a genuine danger there. We're in the territory of the snakes, not the toads. <laughs> Let's prepare ourselves and prepare our children um, for encountering ministries that could deeply damage them. Expect this, Paul says, and um, avoid it. Some ministries we should have nothing to do with. Now, as I've been thinking and praying about this, there's one question that keeps coming up in my mind because it all sounds very simple, but it's often not that simple in real life. And the question is this, how do I know? How do I know whether this ministry is one that I should avoid um, or just an imperfect ministry like, like all, of, all of them? I mean, there have been some high-profile cases recently, haven't there, of fantastic great preachers who preach the truth who have turned out to be deeply abusive. Should, are those ministries that I should have always avoided? Or even closer to home, what if... What if I notice in my ministers some of the behavior on this list? Should I avoid them <laughs> with horror? Or at the other end of the scale, do I just think, oh, they're just sinful like everyone else. And they're, just, they're, they're, they're dealing with their sin. How do I know? How do I know? Well, I think this passage would encourage us to ask three questions that will help us discern. Um, the first question would be, what do they love? Again, look down at verse 2 to 4, those things that it talks about, their loves. <laughs> what does this person love? Is it themselves, pleasure, money, or is it God and other people? What do they love? A next question we could ask, do they oppose the truth in verse 8? So either by um, their conduct or by their message, are they opposing the truth? And a part of that, this is the third question. I think this is probably the most important one. Do they repent 
when people bring their flaws to their attention, um, do they do they repent, <laughs> or do they become rash, conceited, brutal? You see, a, a flawed person who repents that doesn't undermine the gospel message. That is the gospel message. But a minister who who doesn't repent over time, well, that might be a big warning sign. So three questions of how do I actually know in practice? What do they love? Um, do they undermine the gospel? And do they, do they repent? Three things that might help us uh, to learn when we need to avoid, avoid with horror <laughs> particular ministries. So it's a somber word for us here this morning, but an important warning that God's giving us to keep us safe. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And Paul's warning Timothy and us to expect this. Expect that we'll encounter godless conduct and godless ministry and to avoid it when we do. So don't let false ministry lead you to abandon the true gospel. Let me pray. Father, we do lift up to you anybody um, and all those many people who have encountered false and abusive ministries. And we pray that in your gospel, they would find healing. I pray, Father, that you'd keep them from from abandoning uh, the the, the, the true and beautiful gospel because of um, this uh, false and twisted ministry they've encountered. And for us, Father, I pray that you would help us to be discerning. Um, I pray that you'd help us heed this warning and be prepared and that we might not abandon your gospel when those times come, but that we might cling to it, that it might increase our confidence um, and our ability to share it with others, we pray. Amen.